My guest today, typewriter Tim Jordan, is an amazing guy. He's an artist. He's a healer. He's someone who just just loves life, and he just has this zen attitude. He's just a great dude, and I've known him for a lot of years, but I haven't known him known him well. We've always had great conversations. At times, he was he would work as a doorman at uh, at a club, or he worked as a bartender at another musical venue. So throughout um, this, this being out and, and seeing things and meeting people and listening to music, we've had a chance to have just little conversations, you know, five or ten minutes here and there. And it was it's always been a pleasure. And, and now, finally, after all these all this time, we get a chance to sit down and have a, have a much longer conversation. So it's really cool. I, I saw Tim at a, an art show a few weeks ago, went to see my buddy, Stephen Walden at uh, at a show called the Wall Ball. So it's for charity. It provides money for uh, underprivileged kids to get art supplies and be able to be artists, be able to communicate, be able to express themselves. And Tim also he does a lot of work with wounded veterans, utilizing art to help them in their healing. As I stated, he's a healer. Whether it be massage therapy, he's he studied that. He's currently studying yoga to be an instructor and uh, he is a guy that is just very passionate about helping others and this conversation even though he's, a, he's an artist and he creates these wonderful pieces everything around typewriters and just really cool and kind of crazy and just he takes a typewriter and he he cuts it apart with a blowtorch and uh, sometimes he goes to a, a firing range and then uh, him and his friends they'll use the uh, use a typewriter for target practice and then he'll take those parts and merge them with molten glass and and then the you know of course once the the glass cools down it's just this unique arrangement uh very organic very just just real you know it really flows it just as tim flows in life so it's pretty cool and and this conversation it was something that we started it, you know as i stated tim is very philosophical and we didn't even by the time we we got through our hour, we didn't even have a chance to talk about his art. So um, that's just, that's just how deep the guy can be, and and we just let it flow. We just let let the conversation go as it, as it did, and, and it was it was a beautiful experience, and it was just a wonderful afternoon. Uh, you can see a little bit more about his art on the um, on the main show page or here on SoundCloud. I've uh, I put a link to. A creation, a song that Tim created with uh, Steve Ewing of The Urge, who's, who's just big in the music industry, who's who's pretty well known in St. Louis. He's he's a legend, and uh, you know has a great establishment where he's uh, serving up hot dogs, gourmet type hot dogs, just interesting arrangements of in his own right. So, just interesting people, a lot of interesting people. I've had the honor and privilege of knowing, and we're just doing really cool things. So check out that video and and see a little bit a little bit more about what Tim's doing. Since we didn't get a chance to talk about the art, you can see it, and that's probably the better way to experience it, anyhow. And, and sometimes that destruction leads to creativity, and it leads to um, it it leads to growth. It leads to something new. It, it, it you know Tim is a very peaceful guy, and and you'll hear about that through uh, through this conversation. You know very very Zen guy who's into a lot of Eastern philosophies. 
You can find Tim on Facebook. Uh, I'm not sure if he has Twitter, but uh, I have a Twitter. So you can find me, Ken Calcaterra, Instagram as well. So I'd love to have a conversation with you via social media. And uh, you can go to my website, kencalcaterra.com. That's a hub for everything. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all, all the social media outlets. So check out the show, like the show, rate the show on iTunes. And uh, follow along. Let's uh, let's chat via social media. So you may be wondering why my guest today, typewriter Tim Jordan, how he how he received his name, typewriter Tim. And uh, it, rarely is it that you go to a performance, you go to a venue, a musical venue, and you see up on stage the guy playing a typewriter, using that typewriter as a as a percussion instrument. It's it's pretty unique. And uh, during uh, during the conversation, Tim speaks about feeling the inspiration when listening to Stuart Copeland, who also had utilized a typewriter. So this is something that was very profound in Tim's experiences, and, and he took it as his own, and uh, he's been playing one for years. And so you can't learn to play a typewriter at Dale's Music in Hazelwood, Missouri, but you can learn to play just about every other mainstream instrument, and uh, half-hour lessons are available with no contract. You pay monthly, and the teachers are all passionate about music and passing on that knowledge to their students. So maybe uh, maybe those students will one day jam with Tim up on stage. So you can find out more about lessons at Dale's, as well as their equipment repair and other offerings by giving Greg Smith a call at 314 314- Eight nine five three four zero three. So you've heard me talk before about the Listen Room Cafe, and the Listen Room Cafe is a great place to listen to original music performed by the writers. And I'm talking about music that is charted, and you'll often hear number one cuts, which were recorded by top country artists. And the people on stage at Listen Room are sometimes they're the country artists that uh, that have written as well as performed it, or or sometimes they're just the songwriters who have collaborated with them. It's an amazing experience, and they're currently celebrating their 10th anniversary. And after my buddy Chris Bear listens to this episode, I'm going to encourage him to uh, to share it with any writers who are looking for some abstract sounds and have them get in touch with today's guest, the one and only typewriter Tim Jordan. And here he is on Conversations with Calcaterra. <laughs> Typewriter Tim Jordan is in the house, and I've been waiting for this to have a conversation with you even before the podcast came about, and uh, we just never been able to connect. So here we are now on recording it. So we're on mics. We're having this conversation that we've been talking about having for, I don't know, almost a year now. Yeah, literally in your house, in the house. Uh, You know, yeah, finally our schedules coincided to uh, get together, talk a little art. Uh, typewriters, helping out people. Yoga, it's all that good stuff, man. So wonderful, be diverse. This wonderful community here in St. Louis is impressing me more and more lately, so it's nice to be a part of that. So when did the, the whole typewriter Tim thing come about? Because I first saw you, I think it was probably about 2000 at the high point. Mm. You were opening for a band that I, I worked with a lot called Somnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we're going back there, but uh, now the typewriter thing, like the seeds were planted m- 
way before I started playing the typewriter. I had heard Stuart Copeland's uh, soundtrack for the movie Rumblefish. And Stuart Copeland from The Police is known for playing typewriters in a lot of his tracks. And I always loved his stuff. I had stuff. no idea. Uh, I've always loved his stuff. And, and once he left The Police, I continued to really follow his career and his music. And he, a lot of times he'll throw a typewriter in there. Even before The Police, he was, he was recording with typewriters. And I always wanted a drum set. And I was always banging on stairs, you know, your washer and dryer. Um, but I'm a, I'm a mediocre percussionist at best. And I always wanted a drum set, though. So, you know, fast forward a little bit to college and, um, you know, I'm going to school in Lawrence, Kansas for my painting degree and got called back to St. Louis for my grandfather's funeral. And so, you know, it was the first person close to me who had died. So it was very profound as a college aged kid, you know, first being faced with death. Uh, especially with my grandfather's last, you know, statement, uh, known statement was it went by too fast and it was very profound. And so I had come back for his funeral and, you know, like, like college kids often do, I brought all my laundry back with me from Lawrence. And so I was in my parents' basement doing the laundry and I'm, I'm finishing up and I'm carrying my basket of laundry across the basement. And I look across the basement and there was a, a cubby with a light beaming down on my mother's old college typewriter with a blank piece of paper. And I, I, I dropped the laundry and kind of had, you know, for lack of a, a better terms, a spiritual vision. I saw my, my, my life, my future, my past flash before me as, um, you know, as I'm looking at my mother's old typewriter. And then I heard my grandfather's voice, you know, coming from my heart saying, that's it that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I have no idea how long I stayed down there staring at that typewriter, but I finally came to and I run upstairs and I go, Hey Ma, can I have that typewriter down there? And she was like, what do you need a typewriter for? We just bought you a word processor. And so, um, I, t <laughs> I told her I'm, I'm going to play it. And she's like, what? And I go, I'm going to play it. And she's like, I don't use it anymore. You can have it. So I drove home that night that happened on a Sunday. Um, I drove back to Lawrence, Kansas that night and, and a week before I'd signed up for that night to do my very first open mic performance, thinking I was just going to do, read some poetry and play my little hand drum or something. But I took that typewriter to the Hockenberry Tavern on Massachusetts Boulevard in, in Lawrence, Kansas on their Sunday open mic and, uh, took it up on stage when it was my turn, set the typewriter down on the table. And the sound guy comes up and says what every sound guy says when they first come across me. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get this smart-ass look on my face and go, uh, I'm going to play it. And he says, you're going to do what? And I says, I'm going to play it. And he says, oh, okay. Just like every sound man puts a microphone on it. So I started typing my grandfather's name over and over again, crying my eyes out. And, you know, there's not much to that, but... Week after week, I kept signing up for these open mics and more and more people in the music community in Lawrence, which at that time was very strong. You couldn't get on stage anywhere if you were anywhere near whack. It was very strong musical community. So a lot of the jazz guys started popping by, you know, the bar on Sunday nights to, to jam with the goofball typewriter guy. And then it kind of snowballed into, and if anyone's familiar with music, a lot of times you start on 
a Monday or a Sunday open mic and then you do the Tuesday open mic and then you kind of run your way up to Friday and Saturday. So, you know, by then we started doing pretty well at the Sunday open mic. So we decided, hey, let's take it to the big the big ooh clubs the big show yeah the the bottleneck uh monday open mic which actually at the time was was somewhat of of a big deal as those things go and so uh we played our first monday open mic and we packed the place um you know and it was a medium-sized venue it wasn't small by any means and uh the booking person was working that night and she comes up to me and she goes, you guys really need to do this uh, on a regular night. So we started playing Lawrence um, pretty intently, um, you know, and this is back in the early to mid 90s when when the music scene was really popping off. And, you know, I'm, I'm studying art. I start playing the typewriter, um, you know, and it just kind of took off from there to where it's still very similar to how we play now. Um, I noticed all these band guys fighting within themselves when this guy would go play with this band and this and that. And I wanted to create something different where it was just improvisation. Um, You know, I didn't really have time to rehearse. I didn't have any musical skills and I still don't have any musical skills. I'm still a hack percussionist, but that doesn't stop me from from getting the right guys together and gals to come together and just play music, you know, in the moment, on the moment and make this giant funk extravaganza to where you know all these people would just show up we'd have two drummers two bass players two guitar players a dj way back before anybody really did that live it's important to have a band leader i mean that's one of those things that yeah you the guy that brings the great musicians together is just as important just like that promoter that brings the right people into the club so I mean that's that's a talent in itself finding the right mix of people to to generate that the kind of vibe that you're wanting to do and I always I mean the first time I saw you I was thinking like wow this is kind of crazy but it was super fun and it was it had a good vibe and you could gel with it a bit and it was yeah it was odd at first but then when you look at it it's like that's, that's pretty cool It's interesting because um you know and that's exactly right I don't have much talent but I do have a talent of bringing the right people together and, and, and letting them do what they were put on this earth to do. Because I explain it at my shows. I go, without the band, uh, I'm the guy who won't shut up, who's clicking his pen. But then you put that guy, you know, in front of a beautiful funk jazz ensemble that is just total free flow feel-good, positive jazz grooves and something magical happens. And there's something magical with the challenge of musicians that we play for two to four hours nonstop with no material. And that takes a special kind of musician to not be afraid of that. There's no songs to go back to. And a lot of the a lot of the people I play with love the challenge because as a musician, you're never challenged to make stuff up for hours at a time. We don't set, we don't stop for set breaks. We just keep going and going and going. And it challenges the artist that, you know, you start playing all that, you know, you've got to push yourself past and let go and just see what comes out of you. And it is absolutely amazing. And it continues to fascinate me how different people uh, not only the the musicians, but the audience. As people come and go out of the room, the sound changes, the vibe changes. And for me, I, I equate it to surfing. Like there's this massive music cacophony happening and it swells. Some waves are big, some waves are chill, some are very difficult and intense, some 
are just like super mellow and I just go for a ride and I let my brain go. Um, I don't think of anything before the show and I usually wear my signature goggles because my eyes are closed because I'm so in the moment. I'm feeling the sound. I'm feeling the room. And the less I think about it, the less I try to do anything, the better it goes. If I go into a show, you know, thinking about this or thinking about that, it might come up a little bit, but I'm so in the moment, I'm very much removed. It's almost like a meditation. And, you know, it's just weird for not only the musicians to push themselves for hours at a time, but I have to be entertaining or enlightening for that time, too. And so things I saw on the news that day might pop in there. Um, a lot of times um, some people have accused me of reading their minds. I've had people test me during a show where they'll think of a subject and I'll start talking about it and then they'll change their thought without telling anybody. And this one dude was saying that for 10 out of 10, when he would change his thought, I somehow would roll onto it and get onto it. And he came up to me after the show and kind of accused me of being a witch because he was a little freaked out because he had heard of what I'd done. I had talked to him, explained where I was at mentally. So he decided to play this little game without telling me. And it was quite hilarious afterwards because I have no idea. And I remember this show because I remember thinking, why am I talking about this? And then I'd talk about a subject and then I'd completely change the subject like multiple times. And I was, didn't know this guy very well. I had no special connection to him. I wasn't looking at him when I was doing this, but he was playing these weird spiritual mental games with me that I don't like to play. That's not what I'm intending to do. I'm not trying to get in anyone's head. I'm just trying to ride the energy that's there. And it's, it's fascinating for me because it's all hindsight. I'm so in the moment. I'm not thinking about what I'm talking about, you know, which could be scary for some people um, because, you know, your brain can go to very interesting and, and scary places sometimes when you completely let it go. But, um, you know, having worked on myself, lots of yoga, meditation, um, different spiritual aspects of my life, lack of spiritual aspects yeah. of my life and just going for a ride that my brain is very good at disengaging, but still maintaining some form of mindfulness and consciousness in what I'm saying. Well, it's an energy. It's an energy connection. And we vibrate at the, you know, different frequencies of energy. And I, you know, most likely you're picking up on that, whatever energy and then and then like translating it to something. And that's cool that the yoga and everything. I mean, at that time when, when, when that was happening, were you into the yoga and meditation at that point? Or were you just kind of just, you say in the moment, but were you just feeling the energy? Have you always been that way? I painted like that, um, but didn't really understand myself as a, you know, in my early twenties, but coming into yoga, um, was about the same time because I had had massive back pain my entire life. And finally, somebody, I forget who, said, man, you got to go to yoga. It's good for your back. And so I found this wonderful teacher in Lawrence, Kansas, and she was brilliant. She's still the probably not just the most influential teacher I had, the most wise, you know, over there in Lawrence Community, you know, Community Center, you know, in the middle of, of whatever, you know, she was amazing. And it was those kinds of things that really started happening. Um, you know, spiritually, I, I had, you know, come from a background where in high school I became, you know, an existentialist and an, an atheist, and, and I denied God and the great mystery and these things. 
you know, which is cool. Um, you know, became terribly unhappy and I was really unfulfilled and unconnected to the point where I had a nervous breakdown and hit massive dep- depression, you know, coupled with, you know, an unrequited love and, and was having a difficult time. And then I, I did the old, uh, challenge to God as it were that if you exist, show me you exist and I'll believe in you for the rest of my life. And sure enough, like, a a couple days later, I get a knock on my door and my neighbors, you know, asking me over to visit and her friend, you know, became the first, you know, real big love of my life. So I kind of chuckled, looked up at God and said, okay, I I believe in you now. And, uh, you know, just kind of at that point, as, as young people often do searched, you know, I searched Buddhism, I searched many different disciplines and there's a very strong native American medicine in, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And, uh, with Haskell Indian college over there, um, and the Leonard Peltier defense committees in Leavenworth, which is, you know, 10, 20 miles away. So I end up going to, um, a movie showing at the student union of uh, Robert Redford's film Incident at Oglala, where we, they describe what happened um, at the second wounded knee and how Leonard Peltier ended up in prison with no, with no uh, evidence. Um, so I became very impassioned um, in, in that cause. You know, something, something clicked in me um, in that. So with such a big band where we only... You know, we didn't make any money because there's 20 of us in the band. We decided to donate, um, you know, all our money to a cause. And pretty soon that became the Leonard Peltier cause, which was very fascinating because, you know, later in my life, I ended up going to traditional native ceremony up in Rosebud. Uh, and at that ceremony, at that Sundance, that's where Leonard Peltier actually danced with the uh, other guys in the American Indian movement. So, you know, my life has just been a series of these weird coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences, but um, it was very interesting to end up on the res where Leonard Peltier had danced, uh, you know, having my history with him. Yeah. Well, when you, when you have that vibration of energy and it connects with those things. So if you're if you've thought of that and then you project that, then it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, you follow it. I, I don't know how many of the listeners I've had some, a few other people that are into that and, and I need to embrace it more myself, but it seems like when you let go and you start, you just, like you said, you jump on that wave and let it flow. That's when the things happen. It's it's the times when I'm blocking it or I'm wanting something too much and it seems like I'm, it's like kind of the opposite energy or I'm putting some kind of a dampener on it when things just don't happen. So that's, that's cool that, that, that happened for you. Well, that's an excellent point. You know, there's a lot of things going around nowadays with connection and lack thereof. When we connect with other, you know, human beings, we connect with that energy that you're talking about, uh, spiritual, the, the possibilities, there's no end to that. Uh, and to your point, when we lack that or when we try too hard to push away from that with too much of our desires, um, instead of just having faith, you know, letting go and seeing what comes to you and holding that thought, like you had said, you know, holding that focus and that energy, but also letting go of, you know, some of the things in our conscious mind is is, is fascinating because I mean, look at anything. When we connect, we grow, we do better. But when there's lack of connection, you get addiction, you get uh, depression, you get all these things. And, you know, it's not as easy as taking a pill. And the pill uh, just masks the symptoms. It doesn't 
it doesn't help you connect with the healing power we all have within ourselves. And we forget that because you can't sell a deeper breath. You know, you can't sell uh, your inner wisdom. You can't, you know, sell the, the conscious and unconscious knowledge that if you let go, um, that wonderful things can happen, but it's scary to let go. You're on a roller coaster ride. It's comforting to hold on to that bar or that seatbelt, but really you enjoy the ride more when you let go of those things and you have faith that the design of the thing, you're not going to fly off <laughs> and, and you go with it and then you can relax because tension gets in the way of that flow. It gets in the way of you letting go. Um, you know, and when you let go, things just work better. The most highest caliber athletes are relaxed when they're playing their sport. And, you know, they did some heart rate monitors on some motorcycle racers, you know, years back. And the top racer has a nice, steady, you know, real chill heartbeat. And his, you know, closest competitors all over the place. And the guy falls all the time. He's really quick, but he falls. But they always say that, that, that the top level athletes, you know, you see Michael Jordan, he's not looking like he's forcing that ball. He's totally let go and he's relaxed and he's practiced to the point where he knows what his body's going to do. And when you get out of your own way and you believe in yourself, there's no limit to what you can do. Sure. We have gravity, we have physics and those things, but you know, through my experiences, I've seen those rules broken and bent myself. So, <laughs> you know, I was telling my friend the other night that, it, that you know, if a, if a UFO, you know, came and landed, I, I wouldn't freak out like anybody else. I would be more inquisitive and curious because I've seen so much bizarre stuff through letting go, through finding different faiths and spiritualities and, you know, being a part of some traditional, you know, native ceremonies. I've seen some things, man, and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it helps me. It gives me faith. It, it gives me strength and that connection that you're talking about. I feel very connected to the universe, what people call God. I call it the great mystery because I think that's more of a humble and respectful way to talk of a you know potential of a greater being. But at the same time, I believe in atheism. I mean, that's an oxymoron, but I believe in the possibility of nothing. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to go into the void. I'm not afraid of pain anymore. So this allows me to live my life to the absolute fullest potential because there's love and there's fear with human beings. It's going to be one or the other. And the more I study love, the more I connect with that loving vibration in the universe, the one song, the better things go for me. I have a wonderful life because I got out of my own way and I quit dealing and, and, and you can't shed fear completely. It, 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 it has its point and it's a part of life and I accept that, but I don't worry about what's going to happen to me. I have faith that I'm going to be all right because I faced things and they just went better. I recently broke my hip and what got me through so quickly and without much pain was from the minute it broke, I relaxed. I focused on my breath and I realized that a lot of the situation was out of my hands. I realized I was long for the ride. And when I was in excruciating pain, I focused on my breath. It still hurt. It still hurt like crazy, but it didn't hurt as much if I would have added more tension to the situation because tension would have pulled the bones and made it hurt more. 
And through my journey of tattooing, I was able to face my fear of pain. I have over 100 hours of tattoos on me. And at this point, I care less about the ink that's in my skin. And I'm more happy that I was able to not be afraid of pain anymore. I'm not. And that was the main fear that I had in life. Um, well, when you talk about breath, and that's something I practice yoga as well. And today I was uh, working on a headstand. Hmm. So I'm getting there. One of my goals this year would be a handstand. And so that's just man, so tough. But that's that's one of the things I find myself a lot of times in these harder poses. I stop breathing. Mm-hmm. And so today when uh, when I was in this, this headstand that uh, I just started to just breathe. And then uh, it was like the time that went by that I was in it in that pose, it just went by really quick. And it wasn't, wasn't anything I was thinking about. I was just, you stated in the moment and it was, it was pretty cool. The breath is the most important thing that we do. It's also as a people, the most neglected thing that we do. You know, if we're strong, we can go, you know, a month without food. If we're strong, we can go about a week without water. No matter how strong we are. Does that include recycling our urine? I sure hope not. I sure hope not. We get a week in two days. Yeah, in man. <laughs> but uh, the, the, without the breath, you get a few minutes, no matter what. And that alone right there teaches us it's the most important thing that we do. And I continue to study it, not only with my massage clients, but when, within myself to focus on the breath. To your point. Any tension in your body is going to get you away from finding your center and your balance when you're trying to do a a headstand, handstand, or anything. And when you focus on the breath, you take the mind pretty much out of it. You quiet the brain. Oh, I can't do that. You haven't done that before. You quiet all that. And you focus and you get into that inner wisdom to tap into your balance. But if there's any tension in your body, you're trying to balance through that tension. And it's not quite going to work as well as when you can relax. And there's a bunch of magic that goes in with breathing deeper. You know, your, your brain empties. You focus on your body and let your body do it. And when you let your body do it, it knows what it's doing, even though the brain is trying to control everything. You know, it's so fascinating that it's so simple. The most powerful healing tools that we have are free, you know, breathing deeply, relaxing, laying on the floor face up. There's certain things that are uber powerful that we miss because we're trying to control it. We're trying to sell it. We're trying to increase it. But the universe and the body moves on a slower pace. Very rarely does anything happen quickly. And when it does, it can be quite destructive. I tell my clients all the time, the body and the life does not like hard and fast. It likes slow and soft to move on the body's rhythm. Well, what's the body's rhythm come from? It comes from the heartbeat and it comes from the breath. And that's the rhythm of our lives. And there's people that believe that we're tapped into a greater rhythm, which is the, the rhythm of the universe, where everything's a circle. So there's a rhythm to it. It's a cycle. Um, I tell people, you know, love is best in a circle because when it's in a straight line, somebody gets hurt. Usually the person giving love gets hurt because it's not a circle. So I always tell people, go for the circle. You know, if that love doesn't come back, you got to keep it. You got to only share it with people who circle with you. And that that's a good theme because last last episode with Amy Cammy, she's a spiritual harpist. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So if you haven't listened to it yet, check it out. Her And her music, when we talk about breathing and relaxing and meditation, 
her music allow you know it helps you get into that space and there's pilot studies that have been done that shows your brain waves with her music so so right there there's science behind what you're saying in that circle i also talked to another guest uh, ben sturgill who's, who's an amazing musician out of nashville and that's in fact what he calls his production company circles collide and, and we had talked about that in in essence love being that circle and and if you don't get it back you you just fizzle out and that's one thing that amy had talked about being a giver and i think that's been one of my issues you give so much and when it doesn't come back and not to say and i kind of feel guilty at times thinking like oh well i should be giving just to give and i do but at times it's like when that when that energy that love doesn't come back you just you find yourself just burning out Uh, and i know one thing you know, I follow you on social media, which has been great to keep up with what you're doing. And I know that's one thing that you had talked about, this shedding just those I don't know, negative people or, or the people that aren't bringing something into your life and just kind of, I guess, getting rid of the clutter so you can really move forward and just be strong. Is that something you're willing to share? Absolutely. The, you know, it's interesting because, you know, for a long time, you know, I work with people with disabilities and I did that really hardcore when I lived in Los Angeles to the point where my my roommate was my client. Everybody I saw had a disability and, you know, Los Angeles is an expensive place to live and working with disabilities, unfortunately, is not valued in this society. So I wasn't making very much money. So I was working my tail off just to pay my rent to to work, which is fine. You know, I was helping people out and that's good. But um, I burned out because I was living for other people. I was trying too hard. I had no energy left because all the all the energy I had and money I had went to, you know, helping people with disabilities. And I was barely hanging on. And, you know, one breakdown of the car and I'm in financial ruin. Luckily, I was able to pay my bills because people kept hitting me with their cars and I'd get these insurance settlements <laughs> every month. Like hitting you in your car or hitting well, you on the Well, just in traffic, or, you know. Okay. People aren't paying attention, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden it was just weird. And, and that was near the <laughs> end of my experience. I paid my bills with insurance settlements because, you know, I wasn't hitting anybody. They were all hitting me. And I hate to say it that it saved me. You know, as as far as, <laughs> as financially, you know, yeah. and I don't like to live that way. Yeah. And so I lived for myself. And so I basically went broke in Los Angeles and, you know, came back here to St. Louis um, with my tail between my legs, you know, having failed at the entertainment industry. Um, but then I come back here to such a wonderful community here in St. Louis and continues to blow me away that um, I don't have to live for other people here. And I've found a balance between taking care of myself and I, I got back into helping people with disabilities at an art studio, which is which is more geared for me than trying to be a case manager or help, you know, do the more uh, job coaching and some of the nitty gritty. I actually get to help people find themselves through art and make statements through art and and beautiful inspiration, beautiful circles of inspiration um, in the community and around the world. And and it's just so interesting that when you do let go, how the world kind of takes care of you and leads you in the right ways. And, and I found an absolutely wonderful life for myself, uh, being a yoga teacher pretty soon and a, a successful massage therapist. 
um, meditation teacher, all these things, art teacher, all these things I never thought were possible are now more possible than ever and, and, and continue to grow um, as we reach out to helping veterans make art. And I want to bring all kinds of things to, to some of the people in society that are somewhat underserved. I think it's very important, um, you know, to give back um, and to find your passion and to help people find themselves and and I never thought I would be able to be an art teacher because I don't deal well with administrations. And, and I think, you know, some of these larger systems um, don't work for me. But I found a really small grassroots studio um, that really does amazing things. Artists first um, at artists first STL dot org um, to go check out some of the wonderful art there. Um, but to 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 be there when someone has a breakthrough in their lives, when they see something in a picture they didn't know about themselves and they can equate it to the rest of their lives and you see people grow. Because a lot of people with disabilities, they don't have access to the things a lot of people do. Um, not only they're usually severely abused throughout their lives and neglected, but you know, no one teaches them about art history. No one teaches them about, you know, how to draw in, in certain opportunities. They're, they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting for, for decent food and, and water. And, and, you know, a lot of these people don't have any money and they're bored. But we, we create this thing where, where people can come and make art and hopefully build a career um, because they deserve it. I, I can make that shot happen for myself. But, you know, if my legs didn't work, I might not have that access because I'm too busy because, man, when you lose the access to using your legs, everything takes so long. People don't realize I did through my broken hip that, you know, everything takes six times as long when you can't use one leg. And so you don't have that much time in the day. So by the time you get somewhere, it's time to turn around and leave. So it's very fascinating to see um, different people without the opportunity, you know, and I had opportunities growing up. I, I grew up in a decent school with decent parents and, and I got a lot of breaks in life. So it's very important for me to share that with people who don't have that. You were born in a tough neighborhood with tough parents, with, with a junkie school, you know, how are you supposed to get over? People don't realize there's a lot of complaining going on now. They don't understand what it's like to grow up in an impoverished neighborhood. They just don't realize that, you know, people, other people don't don't have the lives that some of us have and it's not so easy to flip a switch and just go get a job because there is no job you go to the reservation there is no job you can't grow anything you go you know a few inches into the soil it's sand or you go to you know some of these you know inner city spots where their schools horrible I've been there I visit these schools you know I see these ways of life in housing projects and it's not so easy to just stay strong there's so many things against so many people but through my job, I'm able to shine a light, you know, that my students know and my studio mates know that I love them and they know that I care about them and I want to see them succeed. And sometimes I got to say some hard things about their artwork. Well, you didn't quite get it here. You didn't quite get it there, but there's an opportunity to learn. And when you see people make that connection in life that you can't harp on your mistakes, you got to chalk them up and learn from them. Because they happen for some kind of reason. And if they didn't happen for a reason, we're going to make a reason. And that reason would be, I'm going to learn something. So I'm going to get better. And when you see somebody, maybe if someone who has a somewhat diminished intellect, as far as we can tell, um, make that connection to embrace their mistakes and to feel a part of something, you can see people succeed like nobody's business. And sometimes success is judged by smiles. Uh, you can see somebody stand up and, or sit up a little bit higher and feel good about 
about themselves. And there's nothing like that. That's a gazillion dollars to me. I'm one of the wealthiest people you'll ever meet because I've been able to experience such real experience with so many people trying so hard to yeah, just yeah. be themselves and find themselves and do better and, 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 we all want to be and, successful. Yeah, and I think, I, I think a lot of people want to do that. And I, I think we look at, you talk about things being slow and in essentially walking a mile in another person's shoes. And when we look at right now, the political climate is really crazy. And there's a certain elements. I mean, my, my take on it is I, I think, yeah, there, there needs to be some welfare reform in the sense of, giving back and really giving back to yourself. So it's kind of, okay, people need help. But with that, by giving back, not just because we gave you something, but allowing someone to get out there and to help someone else. I think if if at some point education becomes, you know, public universities becomes a, a right, and then that's something that's paid for through taxes, that I think there should be a service component in this country. I mean, it may be even some other countries where you turn 18, you have to give a year of service. And and whether it is working with, like, like you have people with disabilities or in impoverished areas and you're helping to build the education. So if somebody, oh, you're, you've, you've been privileged enough to come from an area where there's good education, now you're going to this other area to help bring up these other people and with that then you'll better understand those people and understand how it is and then maybe there's more empathy there so i i think yeah with healthcare and all that that yeah if we can get that great but i think just giving back that little and with as much people as we have in this country if everybody can somehow give back that that little bit and then it's just culturally and just spiritually we're just upping the game of of this whole country during this conversation, typewriter Tim is a passionate guy. He's very active, and, and he talks about injuring himself. And unfortunately, it was a break. He broke his hip. And it's not something that could have been taken care of by Dr. Mark Holland. But Tim, however, is a massage therapist, and this is something which is great for removing the knots from our muscles and relieving tension and and releasing toxins and getting all that out of our system. And, and also, when we have this tension, when we have these knots, uh, or our body is tight, it can pull our spine out of alignment. The good thing is, some the good thing is, massage therapy is available at the St. Charles office of Dr. Mark Holland, and it goes goes great with an adjustment. So find out more about Dr. Holland online at mystlouischiropractor.com or at chiroandrehab.com. So you've heard how Tim is was inspired by Stuart Copeland, and it's always inspiring for musicians and artists to discuss and share their passion for their art and creating with, with other artists. And what, what do typewriter Tim and, and Kevin Blumenkamp, my good buddy have in common? Well, they both utilize fire and blow torches sometimes to create their art. Well, well, Kevin doesn't necessarily use a blow torch when he's working with precious metals, but when he's blacksmithing, uh, he uses a tool and when he's creating bigger work, such as uh, the coffee table he created for the Holman family. And I'd really be curious to see one of Tim's sculptures paired up with a table created by Kevin. Uh, it would be really cool to see that that pairing. Uh, well, what type of practical art piece are you looking for? Well, I think you should give Kevin Blumenkamp a call and, and see what he can create for you, whether it be a coffee table, maybe a, 
a bed frame, uh, it just the sky's the limit. So he can create something practical or he can create something that's just a fine piece of jewelry for you. Once again, Kevin Blumenkamp, and he's at 314-346-6498. Well, and, and if you look at good neighborhoods versus bad neighborhoods, there's one main component that I see in the difference between those things. And it's not class. It's not race. Those, those things come to play. It's the level of the schools. I've seen, you know, different culture schools in, in wonderful neighborhoods, no matter what color the people are that live in there. And it's education is absolutely key. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of griping going on, and I totally get it. No one wants to be forced to help. I understand that principle. But the bigger principle for me is nobody likes fraud. Nobody likes, you know, somebody, you know, taking money off the government that doesn't need to. My frustration is, and my statement is, well, let's look at the biggest you know, biggest people who do the fraud, um, you know, some of the more corporate type of stuff and, and, and the, the oil subsidies and, and all these things, they don't need those subsidies. Yeah, there's certain components in our economy that it helps, but it's all a sham. To go after poor people who are on welfare is ridiculous when you've got so many tax loopholes and so many things going other places. But, you know, certain medias feed that fear and they don't want to complain against the big corporations. Hey, listen, I don't have any problem with any corporation making money and doing what they need to do. I'm cool with billionaires and different people. You earned it. You did what you needed to do to do it. That's cool. Agreed, yeah. And yeah. I can see the resentment that, you know, some people don't want to give people who don't need welfare welfare. But I say, does the defense industry need welfare? Does the oil companies need welfare? No, they don't. So let's identify the biggest perpetrators of the fraud. And let's start there instead of complaining about, you know, different people, because certain people in impoverished neighborhood, it's not just the person on welfare, it's their kids. It's 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 the it's the scenario that's that's doesn't have an easy fix. You can't just throw money at it. But to your point, the one thing I noticed that makes every situation better besides breathing deeper is education and awareness. When you start to become aware of why this is, why there's fraud, why people feel that way, um, you start to understand. But I'm noticing a lot of people are talking, but not enough people are listening. Because when you're listening, you're learning. You're not learning when you're talking. You're actually starting to get away from learning <laughs> if you really want to break it down. Now, I'm a guy who won't shut up, who constantly expresses himself. So, you know, I'm a total hypocrite in that. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I listen. You know, when someone says something that I deem stupid or racist or sexist or whatever, my answer is tell me more. Where does that come from? Tell me more. Because when I was young, I was a bigot. And I dropped the N-bomb in a car with my buddy in it. And he says, what'd you just say? I thought I was going to get pulled out of the car and beat up. But he didn't. He asked me where it came from, and he wouldn't let me out of it. I tried to apologize. Mm -hmm. I did the whole thing. And he goes, you need to tell me where that came from. And finally I went, you know what? My dad's a bigot. I grew up around bigots. It got into me. I have a lot to learn. And he said, fair enough. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> He's still my best friend to this day. Nice. So I always try to remember those moments, those teaching moments. I've seen many people through the Ferguson stuff and this Donald Trump stuff. As frustrating as it can be, 
I see a lot of people saying a lot of smart things and sharing a lot of smart ideas. And a lot of those ideas that inspire me are not in my wheelhouse. You know, I've learned from people that look at things different than me. You know, I'm forced to be a Democrat because the Republicans always cut funding for people with disabilities. And that's my passion. And I, I can't have that because our people need that funding. It's this is not fraud. And there's a system in place that keeps them from being successful because some of our artists can, you know, all of them can only make so much money before they lose their disability. And when you look at something like art, it's not a steady check. So we're created this system where people cannot succeed to get the things that they want. And there's a lot of problems with you oh, know we're still the things they need with looking exactly at, you know, know health care and things like that. I mean, it's one thing, even if that's one of those things that you could be, you know, I work, I pay my bills, I pay my taxes. Um, but and there's people that are successful in businesses and one big health thing happens and it's they go bankrupt. I mean, I, it, I did. I stacked up a lot of debt through breaking my hip. I don't make a ton of money. You know, and Obamacare, with all the problems that it had, you know, is the difference for me for being 20 grand in debt as it is right now, where if I didn't have insurance, I'd be 80 grand in the hole. And and, you know, there are certain aspects with that. I understand the frustrations. It was a frustrating scenario. But, you know, things like the Affordable Care Act allows people to be successful because they don't have to worry about losing their health care. And people don't look at it like that, that, you know, actually this situation helps people break the welfare mold because they don't have to worry about it because that was the fear with everybody. If you make too much money, you lose your funding, which means really means you lose your health care. And so many people on disabilities are on all kinds of meds They're The wheelchairs are ridiculously expensive on the level of 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 military fraud where you're buying $500 hammers and a wheelchair that probably costs, you know, a thousand dollars to make is $50,000 because all these different systems are putting on their tags and these, you know, different lobbyists and these people, you know, so it's, it's very fascinating to go through these, these, to see these situations in life. And actually I'm a part of it, you know, and it's, it's it's interesting times, man. You know, a lot of people are losing their way and they're getting frustrated and they're getting angry and they're forgetting to listen and forgetting to breathe deeply. Because for me, that's the that's the medicine of all medicines. You know, it's the one thing we can do that's free and we're doing it anyway that is guaranteed to make your life better. Is it going to unbreak my hip? Nope. Is it going to prevent me from blowing a tire on the way home today? No, but it's going to equip me to deal with it. And I cruised through my hospital stay and I continue to cruise through my healing because I stayed relaxed. I've got a deeper breath. I kept my eyes on the prize and I was cool with going very slowly. I slowed down to my body's speed. I had to listen to my body. I had to be mindful of my body. And yoga means to yoke. It means union. It means to bring things together. And that's an unlimited definition. And so I definitely worked the yoga component. And as soon as my hip break and I couldn't move my leg, I got relaxed and I got into a very meditative state that I'm still in. I don't come out of it and I don't see myself coming out of it. And it's beyond appreciation for being able to walk. That's cool. 
I, I, I appreciate being able to walk more than I ever have or ever will probably. Um, you know, but it's deeper than that. It's a mindfulness. I've tapped into something and I can't explain it. That keeps me calm. And I have had the most wonderful and happy experience from breaking my hip, which totally goes against what most people would go through. It's a life changing thing. I've got debt out the wazoo. I haven't been able to walk, haven't been able to work much. And, you know, after getting out of surgery, I was all smiles. Everybody thought I was on something. Everybody <laughs> had these questions for me because they thought I was losing my mind because I was real happy. And they'd say, what's going on? And I'm like, I can feel the love of my friends in this community who are pushing for me. Even people I didn't know, even a silly little like on Facebook was medicine for me. And I felt that strength. And I'd never let love in. I always dodged it, man. I always kept it going to somebody else. And everybody else was always more important than me. And that's cool to be humble to a certain extent. I think I've, I've, yeah, I've exhibited that similar trait in my life. So it's nice to kind of shift that. And it's yeah. great having this conversation with you because that's it hits home. And I hope more listeners that are maybe feeling that have never talked to anybody about that. Will That little bell will ring. And that light bulb will go off in their head. And it's something that this little conversation that we're having here will change somebody's life, which is part of what I'm looking to do with this this show is is enlighten people. Yeah. You know, it's a choice. You got to make that choice. If you don't believe that you're worth happiness and health, you're not going to get it. And sometimes they say fake it till you make it. And we have to do that from time to time. But to believe in yourself and and it it took breaking my hip to allow me to let love in. And then pretty soon it hit me when you let more love in, you have more to share. If you don't let it in, you don't have much to share. Most of us know somebody who's taking care of 80 cats, you know, all these people and they're getting wrapped up in all this drama and nothing is ever resolved. In fact, it's more and more drama. But what I've noticed within myself is when I get dramatic, when I start getting into drama, there's something in my life that I don't want to look at. So I'm distracting myself with this hot button issue or I'm distracting myself with a Facebook fight or I'm distracting with myself with someone who's using heroin and they're making all these bad decisions. And somehow I think I'm the one who's going to help them. And I quit doing that and just started focused on the people that legitimately needed help and really did their best. And I support them. So you're saying the people that were receptive to that help and then not. Okay, good. That, that's good to clarify that because, yeah, if, if you're trying to do something for somebody that doesn't want it and is not able or wanting to receive it, then, yeah, it's just like a going at a wall. I mean, what, what when you feed a vampire, what are you doing? You're dying. You're feeding somebody else. You're feeding this drama, and your focus is drama, and and nobody does well. But when you play on a team with the same goal, people getting better, um, I could drink in quite some time ago, but I never went to AA, but I respect the group coming together and, and learning and listening to each other so they can heal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just a stubborn old hoot without that hates rules. So I couldn't do that. Yeah. That aspect. Well, you said quit life. drinking. Was it ever a big problem in your life? Or was oh, this... I, I partied hard since okay, the age gotcha. of 13, man. Okay. I mean, that's how I self-medicated. I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. And it, 
luckily through art, I found that love. And then that process made it easy. You know, I got a second DUI and I remember being in jail and, and going, you know what? I can't handle this. If, if I'm going to do this a second time, I have a problem. And I had a very powerful spiritual moment in jail and, you know, Tuvan throat chanting in jail and these doors opened up. And sure enough, man, I totally got out of it. My second DUI, man, I, I totally got out of it. No, my lawyer couldn't believe it. But it was a spiritual thing for me because I made a commitment in that jail cell. I said, I'm done. You know, I'm done with this, man. And then from that, you know, the light is on and I continued to learn and grow because that was a bad path for me. It wasn't helping me in any way, shape or form. You know, it's always funny that people want to use a denial inducing, dehydrating um, depressant to feel better about themselves. But because I was you know, depressed because I didn't love myself. Of course I went to that medicine. It instilled that, you know, but you can't heal. It's, it's deeper breathing and drinking water. It's so simple. It's so free. And I get it. You know, I was there. I partied hard. I guess it was okay. But I, I look back and I go, how much time did I waste? You know, it was a lack of connection, you know, and it was through yoga that it started that process of me healing away from that stuff. And from that, I had to deal with myself. I had to look in the mirror. I couldn't run away anymore. And that's what we do with our little things, our addictions. We run, you know, and it's hard. But I looked in the mirror and I learned to love myself. And, and, and it's I'm still uncovering things, you know, of, of that, getting out of my own way. And, you know, life happens, you know, stuff happens, people die, you know, life gets tough, but through the breath, I stay fueled um, and I stay strong. And so I can be some kind of benefit because I want to leave this place better than I got here, you know, and there's a lot of things to be done. There's a lot of strife out there and there's a lot of misunderstandings going on where at a time where we need to come together, we can fight about what we disagree about. That does nothing. But when we start to strive for the things that we do agree on. We agree that fraud's bad. We agree that people shouldn't be handed money that don't deserve it or have earned it or at least trying to honor it in some way. You know, we all agree on, on you know, people should, you know, maybe we don't agree that people should have health care, but we need to be educated and we need to be, have clean water. But if we go towards, you know, too far right with the capitalism, well, it's, you know, you know, Coca-Cola buys a patch of water on Lake Michigan so they can siphon water out of it. They go to, you know, third world countries, buy a, an acre of land that just happens to have the spring that feeds the whole region. And then they charge the people money and then we give money to do that. You know, we got to identify and educate ourselves on 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 what's really going on within, you know, ourselves first. And then we can start making small changes or that lead to big changes in other ways. And I, I think it's not buying into that fear as well. Exactly. So you started out and, and it's just, it's, it's a tactic that has worked for people in power, whether it be the Catholic church or politicians, it's just that fear. It's, it's a very powerful tool. Fear it's, it's kind of, you need that shield. Yep. So, so then, then it's like, okay, that, that doesn't, you know what, that I have that spiritual armor. So that now that fear tactic doesn't work against me because I am educated because I'm breathing. Yeah. It's, that's cool stuff, man. Fear is like gasoline. It burns quickly and it burns very hot. So like fear and fear tactics, it gets your attention immediately and you feel it immediately. It gets hot quick. I see love like wood. There's many things you can do with wood. 
You can build things. You can make that fire. You have to take care of that fire for it to burn right. You have to do certain things in certain ways to get that log to burn right. But that log will cook your food. It'll shelter you. It'll keep you warm when it gets cold. But you have to grow it. You have to take care of it. You have to water that tree to get that wood. And you have to think ahead of time and keep planting more trees. It's just like love. But if someone starts throwing gasoline around left and right, you can't ignore that. And some people are drawn to that, you know, because we want the quick and easy. But, you know, quick and easy blows up in your face where it's like love. It's slow. You have to be patient. It takes a lot of work, you know, buying gasoline, lighting it on fire, you know, that don't take nothing, man. But but building a house, building a fire, cooking some food that takes forethought, education and the awareness to do these things. And we have to be careful when we give in to fear because fear does. What does fear do for us? Sure. If there's a tiger coming at us, the fear is going to give us adrenaline for us to run away. Um, you know, and that's, but we ain't got tigers, you know, chasing us right now. So why, you know, why do we have to give into certain people talking us into being scared? And I question those people, what's your end game? What do you want out of being so scared of everything? Cause it's not going to serve you. Well, well, that's the interesting thing about fight or flight. Like you said, back in the days of tigers or you're in the wilderness or, the bears or uh, dinosaurs, whatever, whatever that situation is, is that, yeah, that, that response gets in. And when you're, when you're in that, that fight or flight, um, what that stasis, then you don't grow. Nope. You're not growing. You're not healing. And I think the problem in our society in this day and age is with all the stress mm-hmm. it's it's we're constantly in this state of fight or flight and then we're not growing we're not healing we're not and that's why we see all these health concerns we see bad food we see all right let's drench this in pesticides when we harvest it because we'll get a little more money out of it and then it's just it's just slowly poisoning and because and then we're dealing with all this other stress and our body can't deal with that and so in turn we break down and then you see all these weird ailments that people are saying whoa wait we've never seen this before or or why do so many people have diabetes right now or why do so many kids have asthma or many of these other ailments that we're seeing or like whoa that's never been like this and it's you know, it's all these elements that are coming in into play, and it's just yeah. Right now, I just we're, we're at a at a time where we need to have that education and and make that change. Well, what's interesting is is you brought up the bear or any real animal. If you're out in the wilderness and you're nice and calm and relaxed, going about your business, the animal's not going to attack you. If you run, the animal is instinctively compulsed to attack you. You know that's prey their habit kicks in and they're going to get you. But if you're out in the wilderness and as long as there are no cubs around, bear doesn't care what you're doing. You're tiny to the bear, the, you know, unless there's something, unless it's incredibly hungry. And even then they don't want to eat us. So, you know, to use the relaxation and the deeper breath that even in the midst of bears and, and these fears that you could just chill out, stay relaxed, and you're going to have a better end game. If a tiger's coming right at me, you know, if I face that tiger, keep my eyes open and stay calm, I can move out of the way and I might have a shot. If I turn and run, I'm done. That tiger's going to catch me. I can't see it. I can't move out of the way. The tiger's got all the chips. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, Akira Kurosawa, was, was, was brought around Japan after an earthquake where all these dead bodies were piled up and everywhere after this major fire. And, and 
Kurosawa's brother, um, when Akira tried to cover his eyes, his brother said, no, look at what's going on. If you close your eyes, there's everything to be afraid of. But if you keep your eyes open and you face your fear, there's nothing to be afraid of. And it's very important. You know, I faced my fears myself, and it wasn't with my eyes closed. I had to look at myself and love myself, and that's my shield. You, you mentioned your, your, your spiritual armor. Love is my spiritual armor. Love always wins. You know, I got people arguing with me about that. And, um, and anything that they bring up, it's the lack of love that they're talking about. I can, we can beat anything with love. Love and connection wins every time. But we as a people have lost that because of the gasoline, because of the fear, um, you know, because of the shortcomings of our parents or the educational system or society or however we buy it, you know, um, and people project, you know, and it's hard to, you know, take ourselves out of ourselves, you know. But if you breathe deeply, stay calm, no matter what happens, you can you can you can deal with it so much better than if you bury your head in the sand or you close your eyes or you try to control everything. You, there's no control. You know, we can only control ourselves and we can barely do that because there's so much in our you know spongy brains that we don't quite understand. It's, it's, it's such a magical thing to think of this, you know, sponge in our head with electricity and hormones running our machine, but also controlling our emotions or trying to deal with our emotions is just utterly fascinating and magical. Um, but the more we study life and the more we listen to, you know, different teachers, masters and whatnot, they all say the same thing. Yoda says the same thing. You know, Gandalf says the same stuff, you know, and it's all about, to your point, spiritual armor. Know thyself, understand thyself. And then it becomes, OK, you, you got some armor going. Now it's time to um, serve society or serve God. Um, I like the uh, some Satanists believe that they define Satanism as selfishness and they see spirituality as serving God. And I like that because that's the yin and the yang. And it makes it real for us human beings to realize that we are half and half, man. And we, we do have a choice on which half we deal with. But there's day and there's night. There's male and there's female. There's good and there's bad if we're going to judge it like that. But I always like that definition. I serve God. You serve God or the great mystery or whatever we want to call it through serving the people, the children, the elders, um, the veterans, the disabled, all those kinds of situations. That's how you serve spirit. And I find it very interesting these days when people try to pick and choose where they put their ethics, where their behavior lies, and they complain about this, this, and they complain about the poor, and then turn around and tell me that they're Christian. And I'm like, you did study Jesus, right? You did understand that. And, and it's not just Jesus. There's stories throughout the ages of being good with the creator, doing well with the creator. And it's all about, you know, working with being selfish versus serving self. Because back in the day, if everybody in the tribe was selfish, the tribe dies. Now we have so many people we've gotten away from that. So we don't have to share everything. But you look at a lot of the, the native tribes every year, they gave everything they had away. And if you were a good warrior, if you were a good person, you're a good medicine person. You do good things. You got the good stuff. But if you were trying to not work, if you're trying to shirk your responsibilities, not living right, not producing, you got all the junk. But that's how the tribe survives. We've gotten away from that. We've actually flipped that to where now we're giving all this money and all this attention to people who definitely don't deserve it. While people out there, 
you know, people like my boss, different people in society, no one will ever hear about because we're too busy working hard to take care of these things. And, you know, I'm good in front of the camera. I love the attention and all these kinds of things. But there are people out there that are working so hard that no one ever sees that, you know, how come nobody's doing it within the black community? Well, you're not looking because what I see is wonderful things happening in so many communities. The native community is, do, is doing fascinating things for themselves, completely impoverished. And but people from the outside never see that you don't see that there's no cameras there. It doesn't happen. It's sacred. And it, all these other things happen and people go, oh, well, what about, you know, Donald Trump or, or these kinds of things? And it's like, why are we paying attention to someone who ain't got it, who ain't got our best interest in mind? I don't understand that. But it feeds that drama. Yeah. It feeds that that fear of, oh, they're going to come get you. And it's like, no, no. That threat has always been there. Well, it's it's an animal you feed is the one that prevails. Exactly. But, so I, I think on that note, yeah, just don't feed that feed into that negativity, and then it'll it'll go away. It'll go someplace else. Breathe Tim, deeper. Definitely, Tim. Where can uh, where can the audience find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? Just run searches on typewriter, Tim, and you'll something will pop up. Something goofball to watch or check out. It's gonna pop up. That's that's the easiest way to do anything. And if you're a Facebook person, come find me, you know, this and that. You know, I continue to increase my technical awareness because what's funny is, is I hate to type. I can't stand typing. And and, and my friends make fun of me because I don't work. I have fun. I make meaningful experiences and I get paid for it. Um, so over time, I'll get better at the technical aspect of it. But just right do a on. search and find me. And say hi. Well, good deal. And I hope that uh, the listeners will carry that conversation forward through social media, um, through me as well. Everybody's welcome. But thank you so much, my friend. And I'll. this has been enlightening for me. I've learned a lot through this. I think I've grown a little bit from, from, this, uh, from this hour. So I thank you for that. And we'll continue to push out that love and, and not feed, uh, feed those dark powers. And I thank you for the connection, my friend. Right on, brother. Much love to you. All right. Big love. Now I hit the concrete, the smell so foul.